0: Well, good morning, church. Oh, we got to do it again. I know you're still talking, but good morning, church. Welcome, welcome. My name is Paul Brandis. As Jack said, I uh, serve as the chaplain and campus pastor at Sterling College, just up the road from you all in Sterling, Kansas. And then I also serve as the associate pastor at King's Cross Church in Lyons, Kansas, which is just eight minutes farther north than Sterling, both in Rice County, Kansas. And uh, as Jack also mentioned, King's Cross is one of Grace Community Church's uh, church plants. And I really could not be more thrilled and grateful to be here with you today. I wish I could have brought my family with me, but I brought pictures. It's the next best thing. This is my, uh, my wife Ashley and our two, two of our three sons, Bevan and Owen. This photo was actually taken a few months ago in May. Uh, we were in Ohio for the wedding ceremony of the lead pastor of King's Cross Church, Caleb Barrows. Uh, he and his wife, Nicole, uh, they've known each other for years and they got married, finally got married uh, this past May. And so that was, uh, I think, maybe just like the best photo the four of us have ever taken. And so uh, throwing it up there for you today, but I don't want to leave out our our newest addition. So this is baby Ethan. Everybody say, uh Um, This was just a couple of weeks ago uh, for Thanksgiving. We visited my family north of Chicago in Illinois, and we spent some time uh, with family friends, and they had a little hay rack ride. Uh, Ethan is, again, our newest addition. He is how we redeemed 2020. Uh, he was born December 28th, 2020. Uh, so we snuck him in. His middle name, it's Ethan Tax Break Brandis. Uh, so... <laughs> No, it's not. It's, it's Ethan Paul. That's my name. I had to have three sons to sneak my name in there somehow. Uh, and so Ethan Paul is about to turn a year here in just a couple of weeks. And uh, my, my family, again, wish they could be here with you today. Um, but man, I am glad to be here with you. And it is a gift to me. I, I just want to, just for a moment, um, echo what Jack said in thanking this church for being as mature and wonderful as you all are. Um, it's a hard time to be a pastor. It's a kind of a hard time to do anything, <laughs> amen, uh, but it's a, it's a hard time to be a pastor. Uh, Barna just released a survey that said in the past year, 38% of pastors have considered leaving vocational ministry like forever, just done. 38%, that's almost 40. If you lined up five pastors, uh, two of them have considered that in the last year. Uh, and so to hear of this church encouraging your pastor in a moment of challenge, it just it warms my heart and encourages me. And I'm looking at two of the pastors that uh, Jack named, and I too am so grateful uh, for their ministry and legacy in this place and beyond uh, in what they did uh, in Steve and Dave to lay a foundation for such an amazing church. And, of course, we know they're under-shepherds, right? It's Jesus working through them. Um, but hug a pastor today. <laughs> um, yeah, shake the hand of a pastor and tell them that you're grateful for them. Uh, And I just want to echo that gratitude not only because I'm a pastor and so I appreciate hearing about churches that are mature in Jesus and know how to appreciate and encourage their pastors, but specifically I'm grateful for this church because my church would not exist without y'all. We just wouldn't. We would not be where we're at in Lions at King's Cross if it wasn't for the faithful and fruitful investment of not only the pastors and the staff here, but even more so the kind and generous people that make up Grace Community Church. So thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. And I just thought if I could, yeah, we'll clap for you all. And for what Jesus is doing in you. But I thought if I could, I just want to tell one story of what the Lord has been doing over the past year. We've been open a year at King's Cross. I can't even believe it. We've been in the high school since September 12th. Uh, We started for about a year in uh, the K-State Extension site, and we needed to. And the Lord was gracious to uh, pave a road for us to move into the high school in Lyons. And I just want to tell one story, the story of Elaine. Elaine. Elaine and her grandkids, Ladarius and Linnea. And we got connected with Elaine actually long before we even launched our church in the fall of 2020. We got connected with her in the summer of 2020 through a fantastic fantastic nonprofit in Rice County called Hearts for Homes. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a bunch of people who come together to give their hearts and their time and their labor and their sweat towards homes in Rice County that need love, that need fixing up, that need paint. And uh, we wanted to serve as we were forming our launch team, as we were getting ready to step out and begin a new church in Rice County. We wanted uh, service to be at the very core of that. And so we worked with Hearts for Home who connected to us with, with Elaine. And in July, of 2020, again, months before King's Cross Church opened our doors, we painted Elaine's house. Guess who was at church the first time that we opened our doors on October 25th, 2020? Elaine. And she was there with her two grandkids, Ladarius and Linnea, who for a variety of difficult reasons she is their legal guardian of, and guess who over a year later is still every Sunday, she can, coming to King's Cross Church? Elaine. Elaine. King's Cross, uh, we exist, our mission is to lead people into the fullness of life that is found only in Jesus. Uh, we draw that mission specifically from John 10.10, 10, and I didn't know that the Advent reading here this morning was going to be John 10.11-15, so, I mean, anyone that tells me that there's not a Holy Spirit, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, but John 10.10, 10, right, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full, and so King's Cross Church, we exist to lead people into that full life. Well, what does it look like? What does the full life in Jesus look like? Well, we think it looks like someone who enjoys God, who belongs to one another in the body of Christ, and who participates with God in the renewal of all things. And we started our church a year ago with a sermon series Enjoy, Belong, Renew. Enjoy, Belong, Renew. And after the Belong sermon, Elaine comes up to me and she says, I finally feel like I have a place where I belong. Fast forwarding to just last week, uh, it's not just Elaine that loves our church, it's Ladarius and Linnea. Uh, And one of the things we offer that basically no other church in the county offers is excellent children's ministry programming that happens during our church service. We love having kids with us in uh, the church service, uh, the sort of adult gathering. Um, Of course we do. You guys do here at Grace as well, but we also offer children's ministry during that time. Hardly any other church in Rice County does that. And Linnea loves Her church, right, getting to go to King's Cross Kids. And it is excellent. I'm not biased. Uh, My wife runs it. You know, it's just, it's, (laughs) uh, that's why they couldn't be here this morning because she's, you know, like in a classroom with children. Uh, And Linnea is so heartbroken that because it's Thanksgiving, the elementary classroom, we're not having it. And so Linnea comes to her grandma. Linnea comes to me. Linnea goes to my wife. What does she want to do? She wants to serve with the preschoolers. So that's what she did last week. She served alongside my wife in teaching the preschool class. This is what is happening just an hour from you up the road in Rice County. Again, do not miss it because of your generosity here at Grace. This is what's happening. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's pray, and then I want to spend the rest of our time studying God's word together. Father in heaven, you are a good God, and you evidence that to us in so many different ways. You show that to us in so many different ways. This morning, how you're showing that to me is the opportunity that I have to gather here with these brothers and sisters in Christ. I am surpassingly grateful for Grace Community Church and what you have been doing in and through this congregation for 30 plus years. None of us deserve it, Lord, but we get to do it because of how good you are. So remind us of, us, of, of, us, remind us of that, Lord. Keep us humble in the midst of that. May we decrease as you increase and may that be true of me in this moment as we open your word together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Well, as we open this morning, as we begin studying God's word together, I want to begin with a question, and I will give you a heads up that it's not the easiest of questions, but I think it is an important one. When in your life were you most shaken? When in your life were you most shaken, most rocked? most knocked off course, most unsettled? When in your life were you most shaken? As I think about this question related to my own life, I can't help my mind drifts to a Sunday in February 15 years ago. February 26, 2006, it was early afternoon. I was driving home from a friend's house where I had been working on some homework, a homework project, and I had stayed up far too late the night before with a different friend, and friends, I, I fell asleep at the wheel. I was on a back country road where the speed limit was about 60 miles an hour, and I fell asleep at the wheel. The road turned, and because I had fallen asleep, I didn't turn. And I vividly do remember waking up and immediately going into shock as my parents' van is half on the road and half off the road. And I do remember hitting one road sign... I remember vividly hitting a second road sign, and then everything went black. And I had driven headfirst I mean, head-first, into a tree at 55 miles an hour. My airbag didn't go off, my head snapped forward and knocked me unconscious, and I have, no, I, I have no idea how long I was unconscious for, but I do remember when I came to, I do remember vividly the emotions and feelings that just washed over me like somebody was dumping a big ice bucket of them on me. Fear, terror, confusion, pain. Like lots and lots of pain, and not just physical pain either. I was, in a word, in this moment, 15 years ago, I was shaken. Certainly the most shaken that I had ever been in my life to that moment. I was deeply shaken. So that's my moment that my mind goes to when I think about this question, but what about you? When in your life were you most shaken? okay, everybody take a deep breath. I'm okay now, right? Like, you see me standing here before you, right? Like, I made it. The Lord was faithful. He was kind to me. It was really, really, really bad. Like, I shattered my femur, and they had to give me flight for life, and my mom was stuck in California and could not get home for, like, over 24 hours, and my dad rolled up to this accident site, and there's a helicopter landing. Like, it was really bad, but I'm, like, you see me, right? Like, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm okay. I'm walking around. There's a titanium rod in my leg that they had to stick in there because of the femur break. Like, I made it, all right? So we can all take a deep breath, and we can all ask the question of why did I start there? Why did I tell you that story? It's because, and you know this, right? If you've lived for any length of time, you know that without a warning at all, without any like prior knowledge, the events in our lives can shake us deeply. Isn't that true? Like, I didn't know I was going to hit a tree at 55 miles an hour when I woke up 15 years ago on that Sunday, but I did. And it shook my life deeply. And you had something that you thought of when I asked you this question. The events of our lives can, without warning, they can shake us deeply. Both like individually and then also collectively, right? Like think back with me over what we've been navigating together the last 18 months. And it's not just COVID, that's part of it, yes. But there's more too, isn't it? Incredible racial unrest in our country the most contentious national election that I've ever seen. And I know that people even older than me have said, yeah, that's that's the worst one. That's the most difficult one we've ever seen. And then like in 2020, there was this hot moment where the bees were trying to kill us. Does anybody remember murder hornets? It's like, oh my goodness, like it's it's enough already. The bees are trying to kill us. I Googled murder hornet and I almost like passed out when I saw this picture. It's like terrifying, right? The point is that like, collectively, all together, we have navigated some really difficult things over the last year and a half, and that is not saying anything about what you yourself may have navigated. That's not saying anything about the events in your life over the past 18 months that may have shaken you or did shake you. You know, my answer to this question pulls me back 15 years to 2006. Maybe your answer happened last week. Maybe your answer happened last month. It has been hard of late, life. Life has been hard of late, and I just wonder, I don't think I'm the only one. Aren't we all a little bit shaken? And it's why I love. One of my most favorite verses in all of Scripture is Psalm 16.8. Oh, man. This verse has gotten me through it, to be honest. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. I don't look at anything else. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, what? I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken with the Lord at my right hand. I keep my eyes always on him. I love this verse. I love this verse, and if I were to summarize it, I would summarize it this way. Friends, church, grace community, hear me this morning. What shakes us doesn't shake him. What shakes us doesn't shake him. Do you need this this morning as my soul and my heart needs this? When we are shaken, God is not. When we are uncertain, God is not. When we are unsettled, God is not. When we are unstable and unsure in the footing of our life, God is not. When we are fearful, when we are anxious, when we are worried, God is not. Because what shakes us does not shake him. Psalm 16, 8. And what's amazing to me, that as great as this verse is, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. It gets even better when we resituate it and we put it right back into the context that it comes from. So what I want to do with you this morning is, if you'll allow me, I want to look at all of Psalm 16 together. And in fact, I want to read all of Psalm 16 for you. It's not a long chapter, and I trust that it will bless your heart. Verse 1, reading Psalm 16, this is in the New International Version of the Bible. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods, they will suffer more and more and more. But I will not pour out drink offerings of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Instead, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, the book of Psalms, all 150 of them, they're first and foremost poetry, they're poems. And as any English professor will tell you that's worth their salt, it's a tenuous project to try to split up poetry into logical sections. But I do think that you can kind of do that with Psalm 16. I think you can give rough sections to this verse, and I think it will help us guide along as we walk through Psalm 16. So here's how I would divide these sections. Verses 1 through 5 is choosing to worship God alone. Verses 7 through 11 is the benefits of doing that, the benefits of choosing to worship God alone. You're wondering about verse 6. It functions as a transition, and we'll make sure to cover it. And as we go through, what I want to do with you is walk through these two different sections. As we go through and as we enter into verses 1 through 5, here is what we all have to, we don't have to agree necessarily, but you have to track with me on this because I believe it and I think it's the key to unlocking what what David is doing, King David, the author of this psalm, what he's doing in these first five verses. It's this. We have to at least talk about this for a moment. I believe that everyone is worshiping something. I believe that everyone is worshiping something. And I think this is the key to unlocking what David is doing in those first five verses of Psalm 16. So let's slow down on this for just a moment. Let's park here, if you will, just for a second. Now, worship, we use this word a lot in church, don't we? It's kind of a churchy, religious word. So maybe if you're not familiar with church or if you haven't come in a long time or if you're not religious, maybe this is like you disagree. You're like, I don't know about that. But stick with me because what I'm doing here is I'm sort of pulling this idea, this word, this concept of worship outside of its religious setting and I'm using it more broadly. Okay, here's really what I'm getting at. Everyone, and this I just think like this is hard to disagree with. Everyone has something that sits at the foundation of their lives. Everyone has something that sits at the foundation of their lives. Whether they actively think about that very often or actively choose that, everyone has something that sits at the foundation of their lives, and I think, again, what's happening is if you look carefully, if you're honest with yourself, you are constructing your life upon what's at the foundation. You are building your life upon what's at the foundation, okay? So examples, all right? Let's say the foundation of your life is work. You're at the office a lot. Okay, let's say the foundation of your life is your kids. You're a parent, you've got kids, you love them, they're great, right? But they're the foundation of your life. Okay, what does that look like? Well, you're building everything around them. They're at the center of everything. They're at the center of your checkbook. They're at the center of your calendar. They're at the center of your mind and your conversation, even when you're not with them. Right? If you're married, right, you're with your spouse, you're out to dinner, the kids are not there, what are you still talking about? The kids! (laughs) right? If they're at the foundation, you're building everything around them. If the foundation of your life is money, then your life is built around that number that you see in your bank account, and I'll just clue you in. It will never quite be enough. If the foundation of your life, if you're here today and you're a student, and the foundation of your life is the sport that you play or being on stage, being in theater, then your life is built upon the next practice, the next rehearsal, the next game, opening night. We all have something that's setting at the foundation of our life. We're all building upon that. And what I'm doing is I'm just calling that worship. I'm calling that worship. And I think this helps us. I really do. I think calling that process worship helps us when we step back for a moment and we start to talk about, well, what does it mean to worship God? What does it mean to worship God? Because we have some wonky ideas about that. Worshipping God is not just something that happens here in this room once a week on Sunday mornings. Worship of God is not just 75 minutes long. Worship of God is not just singing the awesome songs that Kyle and the band have prepared. And grace gets this. I love it. They handed me a flow of service today. The part of worship through song says just that. Worship through song. Because it's not, worship is not just that. Sure, yes, singing together as God's gathered people is a way that we worship, but it is so much more. It's this. It's about making him the foundation of your life. Worship of God is about making him the foundation of your life, and then it's about building everything on him. That's what worship of God is. The Apostle Paul helps us here in Romans 12.1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we sang about that, didn't we? God's mild mercy, his gentle, humble, and wonderful mercy. I offer you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because this is your true and proper worship. It's a little broader than just how we often think about it, isn't it? And now let's connect this idea back to our passage this morning, Psalm 16. Because in verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 16, in a, in a beautiful myriad of ways, in a variety of ways, King David describes how he has decided to worship God and only God. Let's walk back through these verses and see what I'm talking about. Verse 1, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And we'll stop here just on this screen. Verse three, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Well, look at it with me. Verse one, he's saying, it's you're my security, the place that I rest and find refuge, it's only you. Okay, verse two, his welfare, Everything good in my life, all my welfare, it only comes from you. Verse 3, even to his friendships and his relationships, right? They are the holy people. They are the noble ones. I'm delighting in your people. Because whether it's relationships, friendships, welfare, security, right? It's, it's directed all at, it's funneled all through, it's filtered all through God and God alone. How about verses four and five, right? Verse four, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more and more. He's talking about idolatry. He says, I will not pour out drink offerings of blood to such gods. I will not take up their names on my lips. So he's saying false idols? Nope, not doing it. Not going to run after them like I see other people doing because their suffering is only going to multiply. It's only going to be exponential. And then in verse five, he really brings it home doesn't he he's talking about his sustenance he's talking about sitting down at the table and you get a choice there's a buffet in front of you what portion are you going to select he says i'm selecting god i am consuming and eating god and god alone i get to choose my drink i am drinking god and god alone and he drives it home doesn't he lord you alone you alone you alone are my portion in my cup you make my lot secure In every realm and sphere of my life, I choose you alone, I worship you alone, I build my life upon you alone, it is you, and it is you alone. This is what David says over and over and over and over again in verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 16. And I think he does for a variety of reasons. I think David makes this choice, makes this declaration for a variety of reasons. I think one of the reasons why he does is because David knows that when it comes to our worship, God demands it all. When it comes to our worship, God demands it all. Listen, for you, God just doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be at the center of your life. God just doesn't want to be on your list. He wants to lead your list, right? I've sort of used this idea of foundation. You're building, your life is a house that is being built. God has no interest in being the curtains or the window dressing right? God says, there's a foundation to your house. I better be the cornerstone of it. God demands it all, and David knows that he does. And what does David do? David says, okay, I choose you, and I choose you alone. But that just leads me to this question for us, friends. What will we choose? What will we choose? Who or what will we worship? Who or what is the foundation of our life. Who or what will we choose? David says, I I choose you and I choose you alone. Will we make the same choice? Will we make the same choice? Now, as you're considering that question, as you're wrestling with that tension, as you're considering that question, please don't forget, there's two sections to this psalm. There's two. Verses one through five. Choosing to worship God alone, but verses 7 through 11 is the benefits of doing so. The benefits of doing so. And verse 6 sets it up. Verse 6 sets up the second section. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have what? A delightful inheritance. There is good and pleasant and delightful benefits that come, David says, when you choose to worship God alone. So we have to get there. We have to look at what these are as well. He lays out just some of them. Verse 7, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. The benefit in this verse is that the Lord is counseling us. He is guiding us. He is directing us. He's even shaping our hearts. If we have the new heart that's available, that Ezekiel talks about, he's shaping our hearts in such a way that we can counsel and speak to ourselves with accuracy because of what he's doing. This is one of the benefits. Verse 8, this is where we started. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This is a benefit of worshiping God alone. We get his steadying, unshakable presence in our lives. Verses 9 and 10, we can go to the next screen. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. Why? Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. This is a reference here to resurrection. Don't tell me the Old Testament doesn't talk about the resurrection of the dead because it does. You will not let your whole, your faithful one see decay, man. And I, I rejoice at this. I'm excited that one day I will possess I will possess eternal life because of the resurrection of the dead. What a benefit of choosing to worship God alone. And finally, verse eleven, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Church, there is benefits. There is a beautiful, delightful inheritance that comes when we choose to worship God alone. And each and every one of these benefits would be worthy of further exploration this morning. I just want to close by looking at one of them with you. Verse 11. And that verse begins this way. You make known to me the path of life. And I I have only put the beginning of it on the screen because I just want to really with you for a moment, I want to slow down and make sure we do not miss what is being offered here. I don't want you to miss this part of your inheritance if you choose to worship God alone. Because this floors me. I read this, you make known to me, what's that, the path of life. Like, wait a second, I've been looking for that path for a long time. Have you? I feel like most of my life is wandering around trying to find the path of life to take. And if you will, with me for a moment, just think back over your life. Just think back with me over your life. How many times have you said something like this, or felt something like this, or just had this type of experience? I need to know which way to go. I need to know what decision to make. Oh, How many times have you said that, felt that? in a major way in your life. I need to know what decision to make. I need to know, oh gosh. I need to know what the plan is. I need to know which college I should select. I need to know what career to choose. I need to know if the career that I've chosen is the right one. I need to know who I should date. I need to know if this person I'm dating is the right person to marry. I need to know, I need to know, I need to know. I need to know the path of life. Every single one of us, until the moment we take our last breath, is on a hunt for the path of life. And right here, In Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, King David says that God makes it known to us. It's like, this could be the only benefit. It's not, but this could be the only benefit. And I'm like, hey, do you have a pen? Jack, do you have a pen? I'm going to sign right here. Like, I'm in. If you make known to me the path of life, I'm in. So what is it? What's the path of life? And here's how the verse ends. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And and church, listen, if we're not really careful, then the ending of this verse can kind of be one of those like wah wah moments. Because, Because the path of life that King David reveals, it's not a plan. It's a person. The path of life that King David reveals is not a plan, it's a person. And if we're going to come to see that this is a good thing, then we have to come to see this, that the greatest gift God can actually give us is not a plan, but it's his presence. The greatest gift that God can give you, the greatest gift that God can give me is not a specific three-step, five-step, seven-step plan. The greatest gift God can give you is not a plan, but it's his very presence presence. And if you, if you are struggling to believe this this morning, and I, I don't want to make light of that, I don't want to minimize that, but if you're struggling to believe this this morning, then I wonder, I wonder, when's the last time that you tasted and saw that the Lord is good? That's Psalm 34.8. That might be my all-time favorite, right? Psalm four eight says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Here's why I love this verse so much. Think with me about the last time that you ate a really good meal. Such a good meal that the next day you were still talking about it. You were telling anybody that would listen how great this meal was. What would happen if the person that you were talking to said, you know what, that meal wasn't actually good at all? You think it is, but it wasn't. Or you would look at them like, you didn't eat it. (laughs) I ate it, and I know that it was good. Friends, this is the metaphor. If you taste and see that the Lord is good, nobody can take that from you. Nobody can take that from you. It's an experiential sense of how good and how great God is. But you have to keep tasting and you have to keep seeing that yes, indeed, God is good no matter what's happening in your life. You have to keep tasting and you have to keep seeing because if you ate a really good meal one time and you never ate it again, 6, seven, eight, 15, 20 years later, it'd be a little easier to convince you that it wasn't as good as you thought. But if you eat it every day, no one can take it from you. And so I invite you to this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Remember, listen, the greatest goodness, joy, and peace that is possible on this earth comes from resting and remaining in the very presence of God. And when you taste and when you see that each and every single day, then, then this rings true for you. The greatest gift God can give you is not a plan, but his presence. And friends, this is also how we get to Christmas. You were wondering, you were like, man, it's Advent, he hasn't even talked about Christmas. Well, what about this, right? I've got the word gift in there, and then I've got the word presence in there as well, spelled a little differently. This is like some world-class pastor wordsmithing here. I couldn't shove more Christmas into this phrase if I tried. Okay, so it's a little bit Christmas cheesy, right? The greatest gift God can give us is not a plan, but his presence, you're with me now, right? This is Christmas. And it's a little bit cheesy, but it's also really true, isn't it? It's also true, isn't it? Because in Christmas, God gave us the gift of Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. In Christmas, God gave us the gift of Emmanuel. Which Matthew chapter 1 reminds us means what? From Isaiah. means God with us. God's Presence with us. This is Christmas. It is. It is God's presence with us. John 1:14 in the message, right? God put skin on and moved into the neighborhood. God's presence with us, close. Psalm 16:8. Where is He? He's at our right hand. His presence is close to us, and in Jesus, in Emmanuel, that's Christmas. It's God with us. And, and listen, I know. I know when the storms of life come up. I know how desperately we want to plan. I know how desperately we feel like what we need in that moment is not God's presence, but we need a specific plan of what to do. I know this is true because I feel that in my own life. And I don't think I'm alone because I study the scriptures and I see others struggling in the same way that I do. I mean, I just think about Jesus' disciples in the boat. Jesus' disciples are in the boat, his closest friends and followers, and what happens? A storm comes up really, really quickly. And Jesus, he was tired after a long day of preaching and healing. And what had happened? He had taken a nap. He's asleep on the boat. Meanwhile, this storm is violent. This storm is intense. This storm is going to kill them. This storm is shaking the boat as I break Kyle's microphone. Sorry, Kyle. Right? It's shaking the boat. And, and, and the disciples, Jesus is still napping, and the disciples are terrified. What do they do? They go to Jesus, and you better believe they shake him awake, right? They're not like kneeling down, whispering to him like, Hey, oh, Jesus, will you wake up, please? They are shaking him, and they're shaking him, and they're saying, Jesus, what's the plan? We're going to die. Don't you care? What's the plan? What does Jesus do? He stands, and He speaks. And with a word, he says, wind be still. Waves cease. And Mark 4.39 says, suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Who is this man? Who is Christmas? This is Christmas. Jesus is Christmas. Jesus is the plan. The plan is the presence of God with us in Jesus, present to calm the storms of our lives. Because friends, remember, what shakes us doesn't shake him. That storm was shaking the disciples. I know that there are storms in your life that are shaking you, but at your right hand is Jesus Christ who came to us at Christmas. And what what shakes us, the storms of life that shake us, they do not shake you. Jesus, it's a good place to end. (laughs) The band can come forward, and as they do, as we, as we prepare our hearts and minds to sing to this Jesus, I just want to invite us to quiet our hearts and minds with a moment of silence. Let's close our eyes and bow our hearts and bow our souls, and reflect upon this Jesus who has come to us in Christmas to be the one who is unshaken to be the one who can calm every storm. Let's be silent before him. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift that you have given us in Jesus. Forgive us. Forgive us for forgetting how great he is. Forgive us for pushing Jesus out of the way and demanding a five-step plan. Forgive us, God, for not resting and remaining in the presence of Jesus. We do that, Lord, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit who dwells among us and indeed dwells in each and every single one of us. That's how good your plan is, God. It's not just Jesus, but it includes the Holy Spirit who dwells in every single one of us. Remind us of that. Wash that over us, Lord, and, and may it prompt us and propel us to some really awesome worship through song. What a gift it is and a good thing it is to gather with God's people and sing praise together. And may we do that this morning, all directed as we close towards Jesus, our King. Thank you for being the one that is not shaken even when we are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.